Thanks for listening to this episode of Screen Facts with Jason Davis, your movie trivia and discussion podcast. Please like the Facebook page and leave your comments or questions at facebook.com slash screenfacts. You can also tweet me at Jason Davis Voice or email screenfacts at yahoo.com. Please rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes to automatically get new episodes every Wednesday. Well, it's a brand new year, 2016, and I am joined by a first-time guest here on the podcast. Quite honestly, a guy that I really didn't think wanted to do the podcast with me, but I'm psyched to have him here with me, my big brother, Dan Davis. Hola. And the movie we're going to talk about today is a cult comedy classic, This Is Spinal Tap. Greatest band ever in the history of mockumentary bands. (laughs) Absolutely. So um, this is Spinal Tap, written by and starring Rob Reiner, Michael McKean, Christopher Guest, and Harry Shearer. Now, the movie was released March 2nd, 1984, directed by Rob Reiner. The funny thing about the movie is that I think a lot of people originally thought it was a real thing. It was They were a real band, and it was a real documentary, because it's that well done. Yeah, well, I mean, I remember the first time we saw it, and I'm like, look at it. I'm like, wow, that guy looks like Lenny from Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> with a really bad wig, and it was Lenny from Laverne and Shirley with a really bad wig. Unfortunately, there was no Squiggy, but yeah, I didn't know really who the hell Christopher Guest was or Harry Shearer because right. I mean, you know, you you remembered them from Saturday Night Live. Yeah, Harry Shearer's character is kind of like a combination of Lemmy and Geezer Butler from Black Sabbath. The way he poses and the way he looks, the mustache, and there's the whole definitely thing. some Gene Simmons thrown in there. Oh, with absolutely. The piece and the absolutely. And and the funny thing is, you know, you hear stories from bands where they say that, wow, that actually happened to us, for real. And I don't know if these guys did research when they were writing this movie or not, but a lot of the stuff that happens in the movie to Spinal Tap apparently has gone on with real bands. Now, I'm going to defer to you a little bit on this because you had a, a little bit of a history of working with bands both locally and you were a tour manager for a few years for a couple of different bands. So I thought it might be fun to, to maybe if you could come up with some stories. Well, I mean, rule number one of tour man, and I tour managed a bunch of different bands and a lot of them in the heavy metal genres or hard rock. So it kind of like fell into the whole thing. Uh-huh. But, and you know, and a lot of them were very ridiculous bands, <laughs> you know, much like Spinal Tap with names like Sleazebees <laughs> and Sabotage and, you know, Biohazard and Blind Melon. So it was like, you know, Law and Order. <laughs> it's just, yeah, the list goes on. And we were doing clubs and small theaters and theme parks and, you know, all sorts of different stuff. But, you know, the one constant on all those different tours, and, you know, I've been around the country and in Europe, and the one constant always, no matter where you were on the tour bus or whatever vehicle you were traveling in, mm-hmm. there was a DVD or, you know, video copy. Probably of VHS Spinal back Tap. then, yeah. A spinal tap. So yeah. I mean, and, and we all would watch it periodically and literally laugh and cry at the same time because <laughs> a lot of it was true. I know for a fact that I, I remember reading that the scene in the movie where they get lost backstage and they can't find the stage that actually happened to Kiss. At it's some happened point. to everybody because you go into a lot of these venues and some places are just converted places. Mm-hmm. Like I remember there was this one place and I think it was in Houston or Dallas, somewhere in Texas called the Bronco Bowl. Okay. And I think it was at one time a skating rink. Oh, wow. That they turned into a concert venue. So you're going through all these different areas in the back and you can't find the fucking stage. <laughs> And, you know, and of course, everybody on cue says, hello, Cleveland, you know, as we're walking around aimlessly trying to find out where the fuck, you know, we're going to the stage and we pop out one spot. I'm like, oh, no, wait, you know, because the place is like a big circle. 
and you pop out at this one spot, and I'm like, okay, no, this is like in the middle of the hall almost. <laughs> and then you find the other thing. So you've experienced firsthand actual things that happen in the movie, which is which is very funny to me. There's a ton of stuff that's, you know. Stuff that Life you can't truly talk about. does imitate. No, no. I mean, it's there's things, and you know, there's funny stories that you know, or Spinal Tap moments from the road. I get a knock at the door of my hotel room somewhere in New England, if I remember correctly, and it was this band, Law and Order, and it was one of the the roadies, you know, the drum tech, actually telling me that the drummer Rob actually crazy glued his teeth together. <laughs> And this is after two hours of these guys being idiots, trying to like, you know, flood under my room and get me out in the hall with a fire extinguisher. And <laughs> how did he do that exactly? They were screwing around. I had gone to bed at this point. And usually, uh, you know, as a tour manager, you're an overpaid babysitter and you're the last one to bed, first one up in the morning. So I guess I was Ian, you know, locating mandolin strings in the middle of Austin, Texas and prizing the rent out of the local Hebrews. <laughs> but... So they were screwing around in this hotel room and somehow the top of the toilet got broken. So they went into the kit and got crazy. So he's trying to, you know, he's going to fix the top of the toilet bowl because, you know, he knows it's going to come out of his pay if we have to fix this fucking thing. <laughs> and he couldn't get the cap open. So he bit into the cap. And the next thing you know, his freaking teeth are glued together. Oh, no. And, you know, and I'm literally sitting there with a foot on his chin and a hand on his forehead prying his freaking mouth apart. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Sleazebees, you know, we're in L.A. and Hollywood, and we're staying at the Hyatt on Sunset, which was, you know, commonly known as the Riot House, mm -hmm. where, like, every band ever stayed. It was like a rite of passage to stay there. But, you know, we're on top of the roof, and they have this rooftop pool deck. And, you know, we go, oh, shit, this is, you know... <laughs> You know, this is where the end of tour party was in Spinal Tap. I talked about this in, in the podcast for Rockstar as well. That rooftop was seen in the movie Rockstar too when they announced Mark Wahlberg as a new band member. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I guess it's kind of like a, such a rock and roll place that they, they feel like they got to put it in all these movies. Cool thing about Spinal Tap, the movie, Harry Shearer, Rob Reiner, Christopher Guest, and Michael McKeon were given $10,000 to write a script. So what they did was they made a 20-minute version of the film to demonstrate the improvisation that they had in mind. Several scenes from the demo are actually in the final movie, which is kind of neat. As the film was improvised by all the performers, Reiner, Guest, McKeon, and Shearer went to the Writers Guild, hoping to give proper credit to everyone that was involved in the film, but uh, the board of directors voted 15 to none that the credits should stay as it was, including only the four of them as the writers of the film. But everybody who's in this movie really contributed since there really wasn't a script. There might have been like an outline that they were working with. So it's amazing when you watch the movie, that's kind of all just off the top of their head. I mean, obviously, they probably could do multiple takes because it's a movie, but still. The other thing, too, is that I was thinking about this when I was watching the movie yesterday. It's not a long movie. It's about an hour and a half. But it moves so fast. And I don't know. I think it's just the way they cut it together. But the DVD has, I think, another hour and a half of extra stuff that if you really want to like get into it and watch, like stuff that they didn't put in the movie, that's actually pretty, there's some funny stuff in that. And the commentary, too, if you have the special edition DVD, is the, uh, the main guys in the band, in character, commenting on everything in the movie, kind of saying, oh, you know, Marty DeBerge did a hatchet job on us and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's actually, if you watch it with the commentary, it's like watching another movie. It's pretty cool, actually. You know, we talked about that we've seen the movie a bunch of times each. It still makes me laugh. Yeah, no, no, totally. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you watch this thing and, and you always pick up new stuff too. Like you don't really get it. And as time goes on and you become more and more versed in, you know, movies and actors and actresses, you start seeing people showing up there like, oh shit, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he or she was in this and you always find out new stuff. So like about a year ago, 
I was in LA and I ran into an old friend of mine from the music business. One of the places that we ran into, we ran into Paul Shortino. Oh no. From Rough Cut. Duke Fame. The, Duke Fame, right? <laughs> and lo and behold, he has a fucking vanity license plate on his car that says Duke Fame. No. Come so, on. I mean, you know, here's a guy who was in, you know, Rough Cut, you know, a decent, you know, a pretty cool band. He's in Quiet Riot, too. And he was in Quiet Riot. So here's a guy who was in one of the most famous, you know, hard rock bands of all time, Quiet Riot. And does he have anything on his license plate that says, you know, Quiet Riot or Rough Cut? No, he has a fucking license plate that says Duke Fame. <laughs> well, you know. From a five, you know, from a five minute, you know, cameo. Not even. He's, he doesn't say a word in the movie. He's yeah. just kind of walking through the lobby with uh, Howard Hessman, his manager. Yeah. Which it's a funny scene, but um, but I guess listen, sp- this is Spinal Tap is timeless. I guess his, the time he spent in Rough Cut and Quiet Riot, not so much. And and actually, Quiet Riot, really quick, was the first hard rock slash heavy metal band to have a number one album on the Billboard charts. Metal Health was the first one, so Quiet Riot was a big deal back in the day, and they kind of opened the floodgates for all of the '80s hard rock and heavy metal bands. Yeah, and they were pretty big. much a parody of themselves too. You know, well, I mean, they, they they were like a real life Spinal Tap. The other thing too that I always admired about this movie is that when you're watching the the scenes. You definitely see that they're paying homage to Song Remains the Same, Led Zeppelin's movie. Just like the, ang- the camera angles, uh, Ian, the manager, has that, that really loud sport coat. It's just totally a throwback to a lot of that stuff, too. Well, they definitely, like, you know, mocked after, like, Song Remains the Same and Zeppelin. And yeah. I think they took bits and pieces from, like, every band at the time. Like, you know, like a lot of people thought Spinal Tap was directly fashioned on Black Sabbath, and they weren't, you know. or. Right. Like you the know, whole Stonehenge thing, for Yeah, example. like the whole Stonehenge thing, but like, you know, that was on like the Black Sabbath Born Again tour. Right, but this and, actually, and that this was came the... out before the yeah. Born Again tour, so. But like, even like, you know, with um, when Nigel's doing the guitar solo, and instead <laughs> of using the violin bow, he uses the whole fucking violin, you know, on the guitar. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things, when he, and then he tunes the violin. Yeah, yeah, the, like the violin's <laughs> out of tune. So he, instead of tuning the guitar, he tunes the violin. I'm like, yeah, okay. Uh, and he's got the one on the stand that he's kicking with his foot. That's so funny. Speaking of tributes, Rob Reiner uh, was originally going to be one of the band members in the movie, but... Meathead. Yeah. <laughs> is one well, of the members of, of Rockstar. Well, what happened was he ended up directing the film after Harry Shearer said he didn't look good in spandex. I'm not really sure anybody wants to see Rob Reiner That's in a spandex. direct quote. I mean... Does, number one, does anybody look good in spandex? Well, that's true. That's true. But I mean, Olivia me, Newton-John in physical still looks like a fucking idiot in spandex. <laughs> but and, hey, that was the thing or back in then, Greece though. or whatever. I'm like, nobody looks good in spandex. I think people would argue whether or not Olivia Newton-John looks good in spandex in Greece. Nobody looks good in spandex. So, um, but his character's name, Marty DeBerge, is a is a homage to Martin Scorsese, Brian De Palma, Steven Spielberg, and either Federico Fellini or Michelangelo Antonini. Well, which one is it, Fellini or Antonini? I don't know. I guess it's <laughs> uh, you know maybe it could be either. I guess, but that's you know that's how they came up with Marty DeBerge. I remember going out to the Nam show, which is um, it's kind of like Comic Con for musicians. Yeah, for musicians, like checking out all the latest gear, and then right. like you know year after year, there's Christopher Guest, you know, dresses Nigel, hawking you know uh, Marshall Amps, you know, or it's so funny. You know, just places, you know, you would just see, you know, them popping up in different ads. You know, these go to 11. And... Right. Spinal Tap is the only movie on IMDb that is rated out of 11 stars, by the way. You know, yes, because the of... homage to, right. you know, the Marshall Lamb going to 11. That's right. It goes to 11. Uh, it's also ranked number one on Entertainment Weekly's top 50 cult films of all time. Premiere voted it as one of the 50 greatest comedies of all time in 2006. And like I said before, though, after the film had opened, several people told Rob Reiner that they loved the film, but he should have chosen a more well-known band for a documentary. Geniuses <laughs> out there. Yeah. 
I mean, it's it's clear that this is done for laughs. Oh yeah, know? definitely. But it's it really is done so well that if you're not really attuned to what's going on in the music industry, you might go, wait a minute. Uh, there's so much of life imitating art in it, yeah. and so you know, their drummers keep dying in the movie, you know, yeah. and. You know, one spontaneously combusts, and you know, and they're talking about it. And when Martin DeBerge's, you know, interviewing them, they're going through the history of their drummers, and oh, he died in a bizarre gardening accident. <laughs> and I shit you not, the band Toto. That's right. Yeah. You know, so right. the, the one of their drummers actually died in a bizarre gardening accident, and he had like an allergic reaction to a pesticide yes. in his, on his property and died from that. Obviously, after the movie was made. Right. And, you know, and I'm wondering if, like, you You would have thought he would have stayed out of the garden, right? (laughs) Yeah, and I'm wondering, like, you know, during his eulogy or, you know, it is obituary, something, you know, somebody's, you know, one of the guys in the band is like, remember that from Spinal Tap? (laughs) And I feel bad. I'm laughing. Somebody died and I'm laughing. But but it is, it's kind of weird that somebody could actually die from a bizarre gardening accident. Hopefully nobody ever chokes on someone else's vomit, though. There's people that have choked on their own vomit. Well, yeah, sure. I'm sure there's somebody that's choked on somebody else's vomit somewhere. The, the authorities thought it was best left unsolved. Well, you, you can't really dust for vomit. They couldn't really <laughs> figure out whose vomit it was. You can't really dust for vomit. Can't really dust for vomit. Ozzy Osbourne said that when he first watched the movie, he was the only person who wasn't laughing because he thought it was a real documentary. Because it's a fucking horror show. Man. Yeah, yeah, I mean, really if, you've, if you've ever like lived life on the road, it's a freaking horror show. And even The Edge from U2 said that he didn't laugh, he wept. It was so close to the truth. So yeah, even big, the biggest bands or the biggest artists in rock and roll have had experiences that sort of mirror what goes on in this movie. There are so many great scenes in this movie, so many things that happen that just make you laugh every time you see them. Like when they get stuck in those pods during the, the song Rock oh, and Roll Creation. No, he's a, you know, a midget, uh, you know, <laughs> in danger of being trod on on a Stonehenge monument. I mean, just... Danger of being crushed by a dwarf. <laughs> a dwarf. Was it a midget or a dwarf? Or a little person. Yeah, yeah. You can't even do that now, probably. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. There's stuff in this movie that you definitely can't... Uh, you Speaking can't. Which, I gotta do Bad News Bears because that's another movie. Oh, that's a good one. That's that a good you one. can't do half the shit that they do. Oh, there. God, yeah. So during the metal detector scene in the airport <laughs> with the the cucumber in his pants, the funny thing about that scene is in the background you hear voices on the uh, the airport's PA system making flight announcements. That's actually the guys from the band without their fake British accents doing those announcements. Uh, and also when Derek gets Nigel and David to come hear Cups and Cakes on the radio in the hotel room, Harry Shearer is the voice of the, the DJ on the radio. Harry Shearer is a man of many voices. Yep, he's definitely known for his work on The Simpsons. So getting back to to Stonehenge, another great scene in the movie, and that's also a great cameo too, because the woman that presents the Stonehenge monument to Ian, the manager, is Angelica Houston. There's a lot of really cool cameos in this movie. Billy Crystal. Mm -hmm. Mime is money, mime is money. You know who the other mime is that he's talking to? Uh, I forget. uh, It's Dana Carvey, actually. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, and Fran Drescher, Bobby Flackman, (laughs) Paul Schaefer. Paul Schaefer, Artie Fufkin, Polymer Records. Howard Hessman, we already said. um, Yeah. Paul Shortino. Nobody, mm. People still don't know who the fuck Paul Shortino is. <laughs> that's right. We know who he is because we grew up listening to this music. But yeah, well, but yeah. I think that's the only because like Rough Cut was like the dollar ninety nine album or something <laughs> that you could get, or you got as one of your freebies from Columbia House. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's exactly. ran out of shit. The girl who was in another kind of cheesy eighties movie called Just One of the Guys. The girl who played the lead in that movie, her name is Joyce Heiser oh, yeah, in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's in the movie. She plays one of the groupies. You barely see her, though. Sir Dennis Eaton Hogg is uh, Patrick McNee, who was on the, uh, yes. what was it? The Avengers? Uh, the Avengers, yeah, yeah. The original TV show, The Avengers. Having and... nothing to do with superheroes, by the way. Bruno Kirby is the limo driver. Ed Bagley Jr. plays like one of his drummers yep. that died. You know, John, John Stubby Peeps. Peeps. Yep. Ronnie Pudding, Danny Korchmar, is actually a famous producer. 
He produced Don Henley and uh, Billy Joel's The River of Dreams. Right, right, right. Uh, Zane Busby he's like plays a Rolling Stone pr- reporter. Paul Benedict from the Jeffersons. <laughs> he's like the... He's the twisted old fruit. The twisted old fruit at the hotel lobby checking desk. Just, just as God made me. Just as, God, just as God made me with those Coke bottle glasses. Fred Willard. Fred Willard, yeah, that's Coach right. He's in it. And then um, Fred Asparagus. I know, which is the funniest name. Joe Allen Besser, another drummer. He was he's been a character actor in a bunch of shit. <laughs> okay. Like a really fat guy. Yeah, so there's a lot of a lot of funny people and, and a lot of great stuff. There's actually uh, a connection uh. to <laughs> So there's actually a connection to another Rob Reiner movie. So Rob Reiner, of course, directed this, but he also directed Princess Bride. Rob Reiner had asked Dire Straits guitarist Mark Knopfler to do the score for the Princess Bride. And Knopfler agreed to do it under the condition that the cap that Rob Reiner wears as Marty DeBerge in this movie ends up somewhere in The Princess Bride. What a random request. You know, it's like a, it's like no brown M&Ms in the dressing room, right? <laughs> it's kind of like that. Somebody always put something in their rider. Every band I ever worked with, you know, I mean, I would do the riders with them. And we would always put something in there, you know, mm-hmm. like one band we had on every guest list, you had to leave tickets for John Lennon, who was dead, plus one, and then in parentheses, anyone but Yoko, or, <laughs> you know, we would pick some like kind of random alcohol for it. So, so why did you always put a weird thing on the rider? It's more like, you know, like not really a fuck you to the promoters, but it's kind of like a thing to just see if they actually read it. And that's mm-hmm. the, that's the real reason why people do it. Right. And then once in a while, you'll get like this new place or this new promoter who literally complies with every stupid thing on there that you have. <laughs> and, you know, like, you know, you want like shell-shaped bath soaps. <laughs> and, you know, and you get into your dressing room and there's literally, you know, shell-shaped bath soaps. I'm like, where the fuck did he find these? <laughs> Is there like an Amway salesperson that he's like related to or something? Or they raid his mom's or his grandmother's bathroom to like find these shell-shaped bath soaps? <laughs> Well, as it turned out, uh, Rob Reiner got a replica of the cap, and he put it in Fred Savage's bedroom in, in the movie, in The Princess Bride. Well, I have to go that's, back and watch that just to see the freaking That's a movie. long way to go for, for that screen fact right there. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. One of the venues in the movie that, that Spinal Tap plays is a place called Shank Hall. Yeah, yeah. Now, everything in the movie is fake, obviously. So Shank Hall uh, is one of the fictitious places that they play in the movie. But a popular music venue on the east side of Milwaukee actually changed its name to Shank Hall after the movie came out and became a big cult success. But Cleveland's like the most famous town that they visit. Yeah. Hello, Cleveland! That and Boston, but Boston's not a very big college town. Right. (laughs) Yeah, when we first saw the movie, I was a teenager. Right. You don't get some of the stuff. Yeah, you don't get some of the stuff. And now as you watch it, like, oh, oh, I get it now. Boston is a huge college town. Harvard's there and, you know, University of Boston and... Right. You know, all these other freaking schools and, yeah. okay, I get it now. We don't want to oversaturate the market. So we're not going to release the album in New York, but Philly, that's that's a real rock and roll town. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's... It's funny. and But you know, that's the other thing too. The movie is cut at such a, a fast pace and there's so much stuff that they say and so many things that happen that you do miss a lot of things. And you can actually enjoy watching it so many times because, you know, there's always all kinds of funny stuff that comes up later on that maybe you missed the first dozen times you watched the movie. I've led a weird fucking life. You know, my brother will tell you that. And, yes, you have. Yeah, you know, I've had like some very, very bizarre jobs in my lifetime. And, you know, tour managing was definitely, you know, one of them on. Uh, That's cool, though. No, it was it was cool. And, you know, you just like, you know, look at it and, you know, you see all the people and you meet all these people. You know, I've literally met people that are like Artie Fufkin, you know, I mean, the label reps, you know, for like him. And, <laughs> you know, you met the people like Fran Drescher, you know, hostess with the mostest and, you know, these writers and these photographers and all you know, these sadly, different people. Sadly, that probably doesn't exist anymore, though. 
you know, because the record companies don't give a shit about artists anymore. Yeah, no, it's, it's not like it used to be. But like, you know, you would meet these people and we're recording this two days after, uh, you know, Lemmy from Motorhead died. And look, I was, I won't lie, I was never a huge, huge Motorhead fan. Me but either. I, I like Lemmy. Lemmy was cool as shit. And like one of the most iconic places, like if you ever saw like there's another, it's a true documentary and it could might as well be a mockumentary because the people are so fucking ridiculous. You know, <laughs> the decline of Western civilization part two. I don't know what happened to part one, but anyway. I just got the set actually for Christmas. Yeah, the part one's on like new wave or punk rock or something. Yeah, it's right? punk rock. Yeah. It's actually but, pretty cool too. But like, yeah, one of the most iconic places, you know, besides the Hyatt on Sunset, you know, mm-hmm. the Riot House is, you know, the Rainbow Bar and Grill. You could literally go there on any night of the week and you would see <laughs> Lemmy there, you know, if they weren't on tour. And Lemmy would be at the bar mm-hmm. smoking a cigarette, playing a fucking video game, <laughs> the same video game. And, you know, and people would just like ignore him. He was just like art in there, you know? Yeah. And like, you know, years, you know, fast forward after I stopped tour managing, I went into, you know, editorial and stuff. And I was invited out to this thing, Foundations Forum out in California. And I was actually on a uh, publicity and PR and marketing panel with, it was me and, you know, a couple other like writers and stuff. The singer from Armored Saint was on this panel, Ozzy. Which oh, was wow. cool. I was on a panel with Ozzy and fucking Lemmy. And Lemmy was like the best, man. I mean, he was just like, you know, talking about all cool shit. And like in the course of my lifetime, I must have run into that guy at the Rainbow. Like every time I was in LA, we'd go to the Rainbow. It was like a rite of passage. You had to go there. And 10 years later, you go to the Rainbow. I was in LA for something else. Like 20 years later, after I stopped working in the music business for another business trip, and I was like, oh, let's go to the Rainbow tonight, you know? And there's Lemmy. And there's fucking Lemmy. <laughs> and Ron Jeremy. <laughs> Yeah, Lemmy, like you, I was never a huge Motorhead fan either, but I've always admired Lemmy because he was the fucking real deal for sure. Let's dedicate this fucking podcast to fucking Lemmy. This this podcast is dedicated to Lemmy, and and that's our little tribute to Lemmy. So there you go. We could go all day with obviously the most famous scenes. Paul Shortino is still alive, but Lemmy is dead. (laughs) Lemmy was seventy though, and listen, that guy led a pretty. Shortino ain't fucking far behind. Well, but Lemmy led a pretty hard life. I mean, that guy probably had more Jack Daniels in his veins than blood. Which means that, you know, Jack Daniels and nicotine is probably good for you. Goes to 70. <laughs> I mean, we can't we can't do a podcast about Spinal Tap without really getting into some of the, the more iconic scenes. Of course, the, the scene where Nigel is showing Marty DeBerge all of his guitars, you know, still got the old tag on it. Don't, t- don't touch it. Don't touch it. No, don't even look at it. Don't even look at I'm it. Just look at it. Don't but, even but look at course, it. But of course, you know, the whole thing with the Marshall amplifier head with all of the... the knobs going up to 11 is right. classic well, why it's don't one they make, louder well it's well why don't they just make 10 no no no, no, no. you don't understand it's one louder <laughs> he's going to 11 you got you got the bloke he's, he's on 10 on his guitar all the way up all the way up all the way up <laughs> and, where do you and, go from there well you just need that extra little push off the cliff well uh, nowhere exactly exactly these go to 11 the catering with the we we're talking about the rider <laughs> with the sandwiches yeah you know. what's this you know you keep folding it i think nigel tufnell is probably you know He's probably every rock star in one. Yeah, he's right? like, well, no, you weren't insulting rock stars, but he's yeah. probably, well, every drummer now, I'm kidding. Oh, really? <laughs> no. Aren't no. lead singers temperamental more than anybody? What I found, and and I'm not going to name names from any bands, <laughs> but it was always like the least talented or the least oh, no. um, vital person to the band. Least impactful. Yeah, so, it, was, so, it was always the person that gave you the most shit because they had to prove self-worth. You know what? Fuck you, Steve Wackles from Sabotage. <laughs> You fuck. <laughs> I don't like you. I never did. Oh boy. You sure you wanna you sure you wanna air your grievances fuck here? Yeah, fuck him. What's as, he gonna do? As if they're gonna fucking listen to this. He's like eighty years old right now and he's yeah. like doing God knows what. Sabotage literally was Spinal Tap. That was the <laughs> band I was on the road with that was the closest band to Spinal Tap. 
I guess there's got to be somebody. Um, you never toured with Manowar, but boy, they they got the uh, they got to be a close second for the real Spinal Tap, right? Yeah, Manowar. Let's see. We should make a list of like with the, the closest bands to like the real Spinal Tap, and you would have Manowar. Uh, what was that band? The Darkness. Oh my God. Yeah, when, guy, when they came out, I actually literally thought they were a joke. <laughs> they did seem like it. Anyway, this is Spinal Tap, a classic, still holds up, still fun to watch. Check it out again if you haven't in a while. Thanks for uh, for taking the time out to come down and talk about This is Spinal Tap with me. Well, thank you for having me. So what movie do you think you want to do next? Roadhouse. And Roadhouse next? Roadhouse. The Tao, according to freaking Dalton. I love that movie. That's one of those movies I can't like flip through channels and not watch. That's not anyway. even a guilty pleasure. That's a fucking great movie, Roadhouse. Oh, it's not <laughs> cinematic fucking genius. No, it doesn't have to be, though. Most movies aren't, you know, but it doesn't mean it's not great. That is all for This Is Spinal Tap. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Kim'sVoice.com, K-Y-M-S Voice.com for this. Kim with a Y. Screen Facts with Jason Davis is a production of Jason Davis VoiceOver. Visit JasonDavisVoice.com if you need a voice for a commercial, narration, promo, internet video, e-learning or training program, and more. Click on the podcast page to get information about where you can download and listen to past episodes. Listen again next Wednesday for a new episode of Screen Facts with Jason Davis.